This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Megan McNeely is the author of Reinvent the Wheel, How Top Leaders Leverage Well-Being for Success. Megan is an award-winning 20-year-plus first vice president and wealth management advisor at one of the largest financial firms in the world. She aims to serve those who strive for exceptional wellness and business success and to change the pervasive workplace belief that it's challenging to both be well and do well. Megan and I talk about her hard-won realization following a serious illness that she needed to care for herself in order to survive and how she discovered along the way that well-being is indeed a driver of business success. She talks about the path she took and how she came to conceptualize the essential practices for caring for mind, body, and spirit. Megan provides enlightening examples of these practices drawn from her research on the real lives of fascinating, successful executives. Well, I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, that you subscribe and that you might rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and invite your friends and colleagues to subscribe, too. Now, get set to listen to and learn from the vibrant Megan McNeely about how to improve your performance at work by taking better care of yourself. It's Megan McNeely. Welcome to Work and Life. I am thrilled to be here, Stu. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, it's, it's great to have you here. So um, before we get into reinventing the wheel, and the wheel is, is uh, it's a beautiful thing. I have it in front of me, and I want to learn a lot more about it and have our listeners understand what it is and how they can use it. Uh, but before we get into it, um, a little, a little bit of background. Um, as I understand it, you have been and continue to be in um, when, when, well, somewhere along the way, a health incident, yes, precipitated not so much a change in course as a real refocusing for you. Without oh. revealing anything that you don't want to get into that might be too personal, what was the epiphany? that caused you to expand beyond wealth management to what I think of as total leadership. That is a a whole person approach to leading uh, the life you want. What, What changed for you? Well, Stu, when I began my wealth management career, I was from the start, um, like many of your listeners, um, someone who was greatly valued excellence. And so through my striving, I plunged forward. I was noted at the firm as what they call an early success 
story, um, you know, blew through the training program and half the time it normally took people. I was gathering awards on my wall. I had a senior executive husband. I had my first daughter and then my second daughter. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, behind the scenes, my body started to break down. It was seven years into what is now my uh, 22-year career at the same firm amazing. And the first thing I was diagnosed with unbelievably was uh, was severe uh, rheumatoid arthritis. It was mm. somewhere between moderate to severe. It was an autoimmune disease for listeners who don't know. Um, an autoimmune disease is where your body attacks itself, shockingly. And in this mm. case, it attacked my joints. I went from um, having a wonderful tennis game to not being able to hold a racket at all. In fact, in business meetings, I couldn't even open the water bottles on the table in mm. front of me. It was so awkward, you know, in the conference room in a big business meeting. I'm the only one not drinking the water. It's because I couldn't open the bottle. Mm. I couldn't also hold a pen in my hand for two or three years during that time. I was shocked at how my body reacted to this uh, new diagnosis. Um, and then, I, like many um, autoimmune diseases, mine had quite um, some momentum. Some of the things I was doing behind the scenes, we can talk about that in a minute, I think really precipitated my health downfall. Um, I had literally every bad habit in the book, um, and I, I didn't really, I wasn't like, alarmed by my bad habits because like what? everyone you, around me was doing can that. Can you give us an example of like your worst habit that you're oh, willing to share uh, with me? Yes. <laughs> I would say one of my worst habits was my beverage strategy. Hmm. My beverage strategy, uh, and people are going to laugh because I say this in, in, in public speeches and everybody can relate. Um, I would start the day with a giant coffee and then I'd have another one. And then I didn't really eat lunch because I would skip that because Diet Cokes are so filling. So I would just have a Diet Coke from the Diet Coke, um, <laughs> the soda machine in my office. I work at a Fortune 500 company. And then uh, for dinner, I would start by having two glasses of wine. So I had to do a okay. pick me up and then bring me down <clears throat> beverage strategy. It wasn't so much a hydration strategy as it was an energy management system. Mm -hmm. All right. Got it. So one of my bad habits. Th that, that's, a, that's a clear illustration. Uh, so, so I have one there were for all, the all 18 of these aspects that I was deficient in. Oh. Yes, and then the second, I actually uh, attracted a second autoimmune disease because yeah. of the momentum of the first. Um, I had suddenly chronic kidney disease, and then after that, I had kidney cancer. Wow. Um, but I had, you know, such love for the, my career. Mm. I had number two uh, created a legacy. I had worked so hard. There's so many licenses. Um, I had really carved out a niche in the senior corporate executive market. That's my target market for mm -hmm. my wealth management business. To this day, I was really known here in the Bay Area and still am um, in that niche. I thought I can't quit. And then the third thing is I am a single mom. Hmm. So I thought, what am I going to do? You know, I have to figure out how to heal myself of this disastrous health storm while working. And so what I did, mm. uh, that, that's how this, um, you know, passion for well-being came to be, was that I almost died. Mm. Exactly. So that, that woke you up. Oh, to say the least. <laughs> to say it had my rapt attention from the first diagnosis. I, I started at that moment. 
on a journey, a hero's journey, literally, to turn my health around. And I thought, you know, what I would start to do was the obvious. Um, and I certainly have no nutrition background. I'm not a doctor. But I thought, well, you know, and certainly with your listeners, most people think, you know, the first thing you would do is like eat better, sleep better and exercise more. And that was what I first started with as well. I just thought the logical. And I would have honestly, Stu, stopped there if I had been healed. But I, at the end of doing that revamp, which was monumental and like a tsunami of change for me, um, complete 180-degree turn in all those areas, I still was only about, I don't know, 30% better. What were you drinking for breakfast? <laughs> well, after I changed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Oh, I have a smoothie, and I put it in the, um, I have this smoothie recipe, and I put it in the book. All right. Um, it's a cucumber, right? Put the whole thing in there. I put it in a Vitamix. A cucumber, uh-huh. an avocado, a handful of spinach, a lime, water, and very, like a teaspoon of hemp seeds. Very and I green. Blend it up. It's okay. not for the faint-hearted. No, no, I, I, I'm digging this, this recipe. Uh, <laughs> the uh, my, Patty in the booth is, she's, I think, gagging. Is it, you okay, Patty? See, it, it's not a donut, really. It, it doesn't taste good at first, but right. it is an acquired so that, taste. I but that actually... didn't do it for you. And, and what, we're, what we're going to get into, and what I think is so interesting about your approach, is that you 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 had to save your life by changing right. your habits, but it led you to some realizations about how well-being actually makes you more successful. So, Megan, you... Uh, it got you a little better, but not better enough, this taking control of your health. What yes. happened next? Yes. And so then I decided there must be more aspects of well-being that I need to overturn that I haven't thought about before. And so Because you I, were still it, sick. Because I was still sick. I believe, just like you, that the self part of a person is body, mind, and spirit. So mm-hmm. um, I created this framework to heal myself. I'm, you know, a great education will teach you how to research things. And there I was um, with the, you know, vigor of a business student um, taking on this project of my uh, behind-the-scenes well-being. I decided that I would Let me jump in there, though. uh, One second, Megan. When you say behind-the-scenes well-being, what do you refer to? it as behind the scenes because I mean, it was invisible to... I mean, I'm not at work. I like see. Like, anytime I wasn't in the office, I was thinking about what am I doing behind the scenes here that is causing this uh, terrible storm of okay. disease. All right. So the... And so I started looking at every bad habit I had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody, and a lot of people's jobs require a certain level of attention. I certainly couldn't handle my well-being strategy. You know, I couldn't take time away from work in order to handle my health issues. Mm-hmm. So okay. I figured I had to do everything behind the scenes. I see. So, okay. yeah, at night, in mm-hmm. the morning, um, after work, what was I doing to, um, to you know, cause this? And what would be the opposite? <laughs> and that's how my well-being wheel was born. Um, I'll be honest with you. When I started my well-being project, I thought it would derail my career. I thought there's no way it'll be so time consuming. It will pull me away from mm-hmm. this trajectory, which was very successful. I thought, you know, it's going to um, be time consuming. I- I'm going to get la- like lacking focus because I used to work just all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I certainly knew I couldn't really cut back my hours. 
so what was the most amazing thing is from my worst health moment, which was in 2010, till today, what I learned was so miraculous is that actually well-being drives success. I do so much better now than I did before. Mm-hmm. In 2010, which was, I was, you know, terribly sick, to today, I have quadrupled my income. Quadrupled. And I'm not joking. I mean, I remember having to say, because I was getting a divorce at the, in, in 2010 on top of everything else, hmm. um, I had to say my salary to a bunch of lawyers. So I remember, you know, thinking, oh, I hope that I have enough to support my daughters and myself. I hmm. said the number out loud, and I make four times that much today. And, and you attribute that not as much to the growth in the market, which no. obviously has been a part of the story, but yeah. to to the changes that you made in, in really reinventing how you approach your own health and I your had, own life. Exactly. I had no idea that what I do when I'm not at work greatly impacts the success of what I do at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did I just say that right? What yeah, I'm doing when I'm at home yeah. greatly impacts what I'm doing but at this work. Is, this is the great revelation that yeah, I, I, I see. Thought it was the, I thought it would ruin yeah. What I did at home was you had, ruin, a, you you had the standard sort of trade-off mentality that if yeah. you're going to take time for yourself, that your career is going to suffer, when in fact, if you're smart about it, the opposite occurs. And that's, that's what your approach is all about. Yes. I'll give you like a live example or a, a really clear example. Okay. So um, in my career, I'm in finance and it's intense. You know, we're managing money for people, especially in years like 2008. Um, so... What I used to do is work all weekend, and I would come in the office on Monday proud that I was the person that put in the hours on the weekend, you know, like it was a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't realize how black and white, one-dimensional, and turn-offish that is to someone like me who is in a client-facing sales position. Hmm. Um, you mean to your clients, it would appear? Yes. yes. Like, so now- Don't you have a say, life, Megan? Pardon me? Don't you have a life, Megan, they might have been thinking? Correct. And what I do now, if I sit down with a client on Monday morning, they say, Megan, how was your weekend? And I would say, oh, it was unbelievable. I went on this amazing walk with my dog. I had dinner with my daughters at our favorite restaurant, Sasa, which is here in Walnut Creek. Um, we went and saw a movie, and I just would go mm-hmm. into it. I you know, meditated before bed last night and you know, got a good night's sleep. All of a sudden, we're now in a quick conversation before that meeting starts, and now they're showing me a picture of their dog. So and, you're, you're establishing yeah. that basic human connection exactly. about Rather things beyond the transaction. Rather than that very black and white person that mm-hmm. I used to be, I didn't know what I was missing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I felt like I started to be able to close business faster. And there's many really? different aspects of this. That's a very simplistic example. So by, by revealing more of a, a, of a multidimensional life, you had a stronger connection with your clients. And that it's, helped it's you to, by embodying, to sell. Yeah, I think my energy was better, too. I was rested. Mm-hmm. I had connected with my girls. I had been out in the fresh sun. I had gotten exercise. There's so many different layers of it. But what about all those emails that you didn't read and write? <laughs> well, they were there clearly for me. And what I've learned too is that and, you know, I'm a perfectionist, like many people. Um, you know, they, it, it's so odd. I thought that I would get behind. I actually found myself so much more efficient 
it doesn't mm. even make logical sense that I would work less but be more efficient mm-hmm. in a way. No, I, mean, it, I know as I say it out loud. Clearly, it makes sense to me. Uh, it does make sense to you because you're so advanced. Well, but, I've also done research <laughs> on this and, and what we see in our, in our total leadership program with students and clients around the world is that when you're smart about connecting with what's most important to you, who's most important to you, and then make small changes that are consciously designed to better align what you care about with what you do, that you work smarter and you're healthier. And you actually get more done in less time. Oh, it's, it is absolutely true. And I just, I guess I had to learn the hard way. Yes. And, and prove it to myself. So how did um, you do that? How, how did you then come to formulate uh, this wheel that you have yes. described in, in your wonderful book, Reinvent the Wheel? Yes. So what I did is I started, um, if, if the listeners um, can just picture a bicycle wheel, there's you in the center with body, mind, and spirit. I agree with Stu about that, about inside a you know, person that's mm-hmm. the different aspects of you. And what I started with were the body spokes, um, eat better, sleep better, kind of the obvious things people think about. Um, and also, you know, hydrating better. Like I had mentioned earlier, I drank no water at all. So I started drinking water. These are things that I believe are very, they would help any human body, you know, just very basic things. We don't, we don't have time to go through all of, all of the ones on this, in this wheel. There's six for body, six for mind, and six for spirit. But let's stay with body for a second. What's, so it's, um, you know, about sleep, about exercise, upgrading your products. What's that? Well, I thought to myself, I want, you know, I had done, started to do tremendous amounts of reading about well-being in general, mm-hmm. and I had learned that actually what we put on our body, let's say lotions or mm-hmm. toothpaste we're using, there's so many chemicals in the things that we um, slather all over ourselves. I used to put powder all over myself, and also the cleaning products in my home. Stu, I just used to pick whatever. I mean, I would just go down the aisle and look for scrubbing bubbles and put it in the cart. I mean, I never gave a single thought to... Um, how chemicals might be hurting my my well-being, but that's an easy upgrade for people. There's yeah. An, all right. Have, so that's what you meant by products. All the various yeah, things I mean, that things you that are in uh, that you're putting use. on your body or that are in your home that um, could be causing illness in you or, or irritation or inflammation. And or, these are not difficult to change. That's so simple. I actually had hoped at the time that was the reason I was so sick. Because that was the easiest thing. So you're telling me that by changing your body lotion, you're going to perform better at work? Is that what you're saying, Megan? No. I would, but Well, I hope. I think it's very... That's a very uh, challenging connection to make. Uh-huh. But what I will say is I found this wonderful organic lotion, and I believe... I'm a Reiki master, too, so I can get a little woo-woo. But, a little um, woo-woo. I do believe that everything has energy. So if I get ready this okay. morning, I love that coconut lotion, and I, I feel great. I'm not I arguing. I my with routine. You. I walk into that meeting. All right, it makes I a difference. You, it, it, okay, sold. Yeah, I mean, I've so, got my routine down. Well, and I, everybody's going to have a different approach to what what these oh, spokes rep, represent. So it's it's taking care of your body, mm-hmm. but again, how do you, how do you get people past? And, and then your mind and spirit. Where I want to get into what those spokes are as well, but. F- you know, at the beginning, and you you start your book with this challenge. You know, people want to do well; they they care less about being well, right? So, how That's do you get correct. people to to get past that mental block of I don't have time for this stuff? Correct. And most we have a culture that says. 
success comes first and then well-being will come after mm-hmm. when you have the time and money to handle it. Right. And even in my business, they, we have this phrase that um, if you just get over the hump of the first five years, then it will be much smoother sailing. Mm-hmm. So every, I, I knew that I had a crap diet. I knew that. But I just figured that it's not forever. Right. Um, Put your head down. You'll, be, you'll, you'll get out the other side of the tunnel and yeah. you'll, be, you'll be fine. You'll be able to coast. But the problem is, is that years go by. Yeah, when you years. develop habits and oh, right. and um, addictions you know, that, even. I kept saying, no, I'm not going to drink wine every night. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we live very close to Napa Valley, um, everybody else was kind of doing that. I didn't, wasn't very alarmed. And I thought, well, you know, next week's a new week. But that's the problem with these habits. And, and what I learned as well is that many of our employers expect us to be the best in the world at what we do. That's just a fact. You know, wherever you are and, you know, if you're a high achiever, they expect the best. But the problem is that most of us don't treat ourselves like an Olympic athlete. We actually do things at home that bring us down, that tear us apart, hmm. rather than build us up for the next day. And hmm. What's, what's the I, worst offender that you've encountered, perhaps in your own life or with your clients or wow. readers? Um, you know, I would say there's like something in every one of these aspects, but I would say people's diets are terrible, hmm. Um for the most part, <laughs> at least in my, my line of work, um, that's an easy thing to fix. But, you know, something that's pretty rampant, you know, people think, you know, to themselves, I've been, quote, good all day. I did such a good job in all those meetings. I nailed that speech. And then they come home and they choose something comforting, like a big fried chicken dinner or something or mac and cheese. And then they grab a glass of wine and then they stay up all night watching Netflix because they deserve that. You know, they deserve that, like, downtime. But the problem with those three habits that I just listed is they, they actually, over time, make that person less successful. Yep. They, they tear that person's potential away from them. That next day is going to be harder. That's right. Right? Yeah. Um, so I would think that another thing, um, you know, I started, you know, I, I wanted to include my stories because I really was just, you know, the epitome of, you know, terrible habits and all these different, um, you know, circling the wheel. But what I did as well is um, I started to interview very high-level CEOs and founders of different companies who've mastered each one of the spokes um, because I was just curious and, and wanted to inspire readers mm-hmm. that, boy, if they can do it, you know, if, John, for instance, if John Mackey, the co-founder of Whole Foods can bring his own food, you know, to work in the morning and, um, or if he can bring, he can make his own breakfast when he travels. Wow. Maybe I can. Mm -hmm. Maybe if he brings his own food on the plane, I can get myself organized. I think he's a little busier than me. (laughs) Well, uh, so (laughs) before we cut to uh, break, we're just going to have to take a, a minute to step away. Uh, give us the highlights of what we'll be talking about in the second half of our conversation with respect to mind and spirit. What are the key elements of, uh, well, of those parts of the wheel? Yes, I think there's a few very unexpected ways that we can very easily start thinking about improved well-being in the mind category and the spirit category that usually get overlooked because everybody's focused on the body aspects. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. That'll be fun. Yeah, and, and uh, again, the the big idea here is that it doesn't have to be a trade-off. And indeed, when you take time to step back and invest 
in your mind, body, and spirit, there's payoff, not just for a healthier life and perhaps a little less ornery personality, but uh, and you know better relationships that are all a part of um, an improved performance uh, in, in at work and in the other parts of life. So, Megan, let's keep going. Uh, yes. We we talked some about the body and the, the, the six spokes of the wheel that have to do with the body, uh, diet, sleep, exercise. We didn't talk much about that, but most people can understand what that's about. Uh, the products that you use, hydrating with water and finding ways to relax. Let's get into mind and spirit as elements of the wheel. And also, uh, if you could tell us, uh, perhaps with you know the, the examples that uh, really s- spoke to you most uh, profoundly in, in the in the leaders that you that you interviewed and that you did research with uh, on you know on, on how they uh, practice uh, enhancing their own lives to perform better. Um, exactly. s- starting with the mind. So tell us about that aspect of the wheel and, and how you learned about it and what, what these uh, leaders had to say about how they cultivate their minds. Excellent. Um, the mind section came into being when I realized that um, all the customizations I had made for myself in the body aspects weren't uh, healing me. I wasn't uh, more than 30% better. I thought there must be some other area of well-being I need to leverage. Mm -hmm. So um, I, you know, and it was very obvious to me that well-being can be leveraged for personal and business success. And one cool thing about the wheel that I created is it shows all those outcomes on there so people can see right away what the goodies are at the end of the tunnel. Um, And as far as the mind goes... Um, You're talking about the outer rings rings. that the spokes lead to. The meditate spoke. The personal outcome for that would be peace, right? The the end result. You know, people want to know what is it that I'm I'm trying to achieve here, and in my case, you know, I put peace on there, and anybody could see that in the book. and then um, there's an outer ring that kind of circles and is sort of free-floating, as I describe, um, that are, are business outcomes um, of that. So, for instance, on the meditate spoke, I never meditated. I barely can sit still. I'm one of those people that is a very go, 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 high-energy, soul-on-fire person, as you probably can tell from me talking. I I actually don't do good with a lot of coffee, as you can imagine. But my, <laughs> cannot imagine actually, right. Megan. But but keep going. Right, but and I believe that all of these the key secret sauce in my work is customization. So mm-hmm. with somebody who's got high energy like myself, you know, I started to attend uh, meditation workshops. Mm. Jack Cornfield was one of my um, ah. greatest inspirations. One of the masters. There I was. I, I have a hard time. I had a hard time sitting. I was in so much pain. Mm. So my customization for that is what I call meditation. Don't judge, but I literally Who's lay judging? in bed <laughs> ten minutes before I go to sleep and ten minutes every morning, and just listen to my breathing going in and out. Mm-hmm. Now the executive I interviewed for this spoke has a much more admirable practice, and Ooh. he wakes up. 
um, something about 5 or 5.30 in the morning. It's Rich Fernandez, the, the co-founder of Wisdom Labs and the current CEO of Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, which is an offshoot of Google. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he has a whole cycling process where he does a sitting meditation. Then he stands up because he's thinking about during that period, like he might think about something with work. He might uh, have a, a way that um, a business idea might float through his consciousness. And he may see, um, as he says, what is present you know, what is alive, he uses the word alive for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that. And um, I admire him, but I, there I am. Like, I'm still meditating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest. <laughs> but um, one of the other spokes in that mind section that was really important is um, the speak your truth section. Um, back in the day when I was so ill, I uh, was in a marriage and, you know, just in my in my personal life, I wasn't 100% honest all the time about how I was feeling. And I certainly was suffering mm. at this point. Behind the scenes, people would ask me, how are you doing? I'd say, just fine. And someone at work would say, Did, were you just limping down the hall? And I certainly was. And I'd say, oh, it was a tennis injury. And I didn't want anyone at work to see me as weak. Didn't want I to reveal your vulnerabilities words. here. And, and, yeah. and now you're talking about your physical health. Correct. And, um, you know, I wasn't being truthful, even on things like when my, um, you know, former uh, husband, you know, would say we were married at the time, would say, do you want to go sailing this weekend? I was pretending to be that, you know, great, you know, fun loving wife that he had um, married. I wanted to keep up that image. And even though I was exhausted from the job and my two infant girls, um, you know, I'd say, sure. And there we'd be sailing on um, San Francisco Bay with the wor- and wouldn't you know it would attract the worst weather and sailboat malfunctions known to man, and <laughs> and I'd be miserable and our time together would be ruined. So I started to just speak my truth in my life so much more. I, I eventually told him, you know, I didn't really want to go sailing uh, during my free time on the weekend, and he found a great buddy and just had a great. Mm-hmm. A wonderful experience. The person in that spoke I interviewed was uh, Judy Belk, the CEO of the California Wellness Foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, She is an incredible African-American CEO. It's a billion-plus foundation, and she's using her voice um, for gun reform, for all sorts of amazing um, conversations around race. She has a new op-ed, I believe, in the L.A. Times this week. Um, and she's an incredible leader mm. who's really um, using her voice and speaking her truth to... What was the hardest part about getting to the point where you could be more honest with the people around you about what was inside that you had to let them know about? Can you say that question again? I'm sorry, I missed well, the first part. Well, you know, a, a lot of people listening, I'm sure, are thinking, well, speak your truth. I, I can't do that because I'll get ridiculed or I'll be misunderstood or... Uh, you know, it'll, it'll cause problems for me in my relationships. So what, what, what have you learned about what it means to speak your truth in a way that is both helpful to you and to those around you? Great question. So what I learned is that if you don't speak your truth, the people around you don't even really know who you are. Mm-hmm. There gets to be a point when you're pretending to be something you're not. And for those, as far as relationships go, um, it's so critical to be who you are and to express what your desires are, because 
there you will be um, doing things you don't want to do, pretending to be someone you're not. And then years later, you uh, grow so far apart um, because you don't even know who each other is. Mm-hmm. At work, you have to certainly be very careful. Um, you know, in certain circumstances, sure. you want to always speak your truth with grace. Of course. You know? Oh, yeah. with grace. So what do you mean by that? Because we all wear masks, right, in public. Right. Uh, and we can't reveal everything about what's in our heads. <laughs> right. Uh, so w- what what did you learn from writing about what it means to speak your truth? And I, and I want to dig into this one or I have been because I know that that's an area that a lot of people struggle with. Right. So um, many of us know that if if we were going to deliver a very difficult truth um, to a loved one or even to a boss, um, that we would need to prepare. So what Mm -hmm. I learned is one of a great great strategy is to write it down, write down literally Mm -hmm. like a script what I was going to say. Look at it from all angles and Ilanya von Zant, um, you know, who works, of course, with Oprah, says, you know, if you're going to share your truth, you know, it's not your business what other people think of that. But I, I still felt so nervous um, about ramifications. Sure. <laughs> saying certain things. So what I learned, at a technique I use in my office and in my career all the time, is what I call a criticism sandwich. And so <laughs> what I do is I say something complimentary. So like if I was going to speak to my boss, I would say, you know, uh, I so appreciate Mike. You know, what a great job you're doing as a leader in this office and say something authentic. Like, I just think that, you know, we've had so much more integration and interaction these days. It feels like a family. And then I would say the the criticism. Hmm. However, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever it would be, um, you know, I think we could be doing more business in this area if we had more open not open mindedness around X or whatever the, the criticism would be. And then I would end the sandwich with the compliment. So. <laughs> And as I was saying, I just can't thank you enough for, you know, having, you know, allowing me to work here. And, you know, I just so appreciate everything that's going on, you know, and then I would leave. And I thought that worked out fabulously for me because I was so afraid to speak my truth, um, both at work and in relationships. It was, it softened it rather, you know, because so many of us, if we're, we want to say a truth, we blurt it out and it doesn't come out right, you know? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's not easy, uh, and uh, appreciate your thoughts on that. And we're under so much pressure, and our heart is beating through our chest. So how to how to um, create tools around being able to do that? But what I found is that all of a sudden, then my boss was like, "I'm so glad you brought that up. I was thinking about that Mm -hmm, myself." mm -hmm. And then here I am. I'm suddenly a contributor. As opposed to someone who's just like meekly sitting in the corner, not saying a word, it's, yeah. I appear like somebody I, who really cares, which so I do. The key is uh, preparation and really Correct. thinking through what it is that you have to say and on Look what basis you, you've drawn your you know conclusions that you have. And my experience is that the more you can present your perspective in a way that is rooted in the reality that you've observed and to be open to being wrong and to inquiring actively about, like, what have I missed here? Here's what I see. Here's what I think is important. What do you see? Mm -hmm. That that really does help to invite people to respond in a way that is uh, both honest from their perspective as well as respectful. Uh, So... So those are some of the important that. aspects of, uh, of cultivating your mind, uh, med or 
meditation, uh, aligning your values and actions, something that we talk a lot about here on this show. Um, how do you, how do you approach that? And who's, who's the exemplar of that, uh, spoke in the wheel? So um, I believe this is so important. I know you had mentioned it, um, you know, in your book, Leading the Life You Want. Um, and I, aligning values and actions is so, was so important to me because I didn't really, my, my, I didn't really have a value back when I was sick. Mm. I, I took an inventory of my life and I realized I'm, I've always been a great person, like good at heart. But what I would say to myself is um, I, this phrase, I would say, and I guess that's what I considered my value at the time. I'm always trying to do my best. And, and what it turned into when I had the toddlers and trying to manage multiple uh, responsibilities is I would say, Ugh, I'm just trying to do my best here. Mm-hmm. And I would be saying it like mm-hmm. I'm sighing. I'm very different I'm meaning stress, distressed. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm frustrated. Um, it's a futile feeling, you know, I had at that time. Mm-hmm. What I decided is that is a very flimsy thing to say, because how would that even be measured? You know, my best. I, I'm, I was suddenly a new mother and, and you know, having this very fast-rising career. Um, anyway, what I decided is I would just pick a value, like actually look at what, were, what, are, what are values. And I chose love and truth. Um, is the things I would start to anchor. I use the image in my book of a kite, you know, flying out there. And I had this like flimsy string that I was just trying to do my best with everything. And, you know, Mm. things were coming at me and I was so overwhelmed. And I decided I needed a steel cable on that kite. Mm. And love and truth really helped me with that. So Mm. at any given time, if I was at home, I'd say, am I, am I coming from a place of love? You know, as I so do you were able myself. to step back and ask yourself yeah. that question, and that's such an important aspect of what, what like, it what takes to be able for? to align what you do with what you care about. So the third part of the wheel is the spirit. Tell us about what's essential there. Um, the spirit section, mm-hmm. I believe, um, for me, was the um, you know very pinnacle of of learning, of growth, and in, in my well being journey. And with the executives that I have interviewed over time, and also um, peers, it seems to be the part that's most elusive, and it's the part that people have left to the end. <laughs> people mm-hmm. usually try and you know if they have a crisis of some sort, uh, you know, try and get healthier and things like that. But what I thought was so fascinating, Stu. We should have started this conversation at this point, then, is what you're saying. It's, it's fascinating. Um, if you ask a very high-powered, you know, typical executive, um, tell me about your spirit-lifting hobby right now. Many people cannot answer that question. Hmm. It is so fascinating. It has been such an interesting discussion. Um, they'll say, what do you mean by a hobby? And because they don't want, they don't know how to answer the question. I say, you know, what you love to do. Um, and they, a lot of people stumble who are not on a well-being journey. And what I mean by this is, uh-huh. you know, what did you used to do when you were younger that brought you joy, that got you into a state of flow where you just mm-hmm. forgot what was going on? Mm-hmm. You know, time passed. And there was this blissful, like, experience that you had. And it, w- it was just absolutely amazing. But I found that it was incredibly helpful for my well-being. And that hobby, even though it's 
off work hours can be leveraged for success at your career. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make logical sense at first, but let's, you know, the, the executive at the, uh, that I used in the book is Riley Etheridge, who was a C-suite position uh, person at Merrill Lynch. Um, while he had his, the pinnacle of his career, he came out with his fifth album. Um, he's a, a singer, songwriter, and uh, musician. Unbelievable person, incredible executive. And he said... No relation I, to Melissa? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> but what he said was he believes all tides rise. You know, that what his music you know, would put him in a state of complete concentration, joy, connection to his band, and he would bring that same energy mm-hmm. to, you know, whether he was speaking at the Barron's 100 conference awesome. or wherever, he felt like both areas of his life mm-hmm. served each other and they both brought him so much of joy. Of course. No, that's a great question to be asking people. Isn't that interesting? You want to know what my spirit lifting hobby yeah, is? What? Doing this radio show. Really? I'm not kidding. So you love it. <laughs> I do. And I'm in a state of flow during the conversation, which is nearing an end for us. Uh, So I want to make sure we we do talk more about um, the other elements of spirit, which is Mm -hmm. so important. Right. So there are some things in here that people don't think about. Crafting self-expression is one of them. You know, do mm. is how you look and move through the world. Um, and, you know, an example of who mm. you really are as a person underneath. Mm-mm. You know, if I, I'm a very vibrant person, but back in the day, I was wearing black suits everywhere, trying to fit in with everybody and just... Oh, like your, uh, your clothing you're talking about here. I, it could be that. Um, other people... Hairstyle. Could be your home. It could be your home. social media um, feed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different. There's a million different ways to express yourself. It could be a photography, um, you know, project you have going on. So, what's you know? the essence of what it means to craft self-expression in a way that embodies and perhaps uh, expands your your mm-hmm. spiritual existence? Yes, like I'm a very vibrant person, and so I try to think about: it, is that showing? Do I seem vibrant? Is what I'm wearing today vibrant? And so I have kind of revamped my closet. My home has, you know, bright uh, modern art, and I've sort of taken it to a whole new level, and it's really helped my well-being. And also in my business meetings, people know who I am faster. Like before, they might have been like, I don't know, she kind of seems like everybody else. That's why I think I've closed more business than ever before is because people get it right up front. And it's the same with, like, in relationships. If you're, um, you know, I'm not married um, Mm -hmm. at the moment, but, you know, if I'm sitting across from someone who's new to me mm-hmm. and we're on a date, he knows exactly, like, oh, she's, she's on fire, this one. She's vibrant. <laughs> because you, you, you decided that that was something that was going to be important for you to I want to express to myself. Articulate. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's healing for me to be who I am consistently, not hide a part of myself. Yeah. And where do you find that people have difficulty with that aspect of the wheel, the crafting of self-expression? What holds people back from from doing that? Well, I think a lot of people, if you ask them, you know, and this is another question I've asked executives too, yeah. is let's find the core essence of you. And they'll go, huh? What do you mean by that? And I'll ask your listeners too, What if we had to come up with a word right now that would describe you, what would that be? Like mm-hmm. your essence. Your spiritual essence. And if you ask me this question, the answer is vibrant. Mm -hmm. But I didn't hear that from myself. I actually heard it from a friend of mine who told me 
well, it's clear as day, Megan, your word would be vibrant. I said, oh, my gosh, that is right. That is a great, hmm. you know, so you may have to ask a friend about it. But a lot of people, um, they don't know. My friend Vision, who um, is the CEO of Mind Valley, was telling me his word is superhero. He wants to embody that. He really feels like he, you know, is trying to charge forth in the world and change things to save education. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And so that's why I think people stumble over self-expression because they aren't really sure what it is that makes them different from other people. So one way to discover that, folks, if you're thinking about, hmm, what is it that is my distinctive essence would be to ask a couple of people who know you pretty well that you would feel comfortable asking. And you might be uh, delighted and surprised by what you hear. It might provide some insight for you. I totally agree. We just have a couple minutes here, Megan. Uh, Let me ask, what in your in in your research and your journey in producing this this platform this book has been the most surprising thing that you have discovered the most surprising thing i've discovered is that the greatest leaders in the world are using well-being to leverage success and i thought it was just me who knew that and then i started interviewing people and i think we have a new leader in our midst and that is a a leader who I call an exceptional executive. I used to think the greatest leaders in the world were leading from intelligence, drive, motivation. I think it's changed. What surprised the heck out of me was Mm -hmm. that I believe the greatest leaders in the world are leading from a core of Mm well-being, and they're using it for leverage. In all the different ways that you have Correct. described here. in all here. these different ways. And There's 18 different ways that they, they use it, and not all of them use it all at once, of course. And that's why in the book I just highlight a different person who's mastered the mm-hmm. one thing, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. But they, they clearly, you know, have, have several. None of us are good at all of these things. But I think we have a new leader in our midst. I think that um, we're in a new era where you're seeing extremely fit, extremely... Um, uh, conscious, extremely, um, I call, I, I have an article in Chief Executive called The Rise of the Exceptional Executive, and, um, and I believe this person is not that black and white, um, kind of one-dimensional executive of the uh, past, you know, who worked all the time and had no other life. She's a rainbow. These people are multifaceted. Yes. Uh, very multidimensional, in shape, taking care of themselves, see the long run. I need to jump in here because we are we are rapidly nearing the end of our hour. What's the most important thing that you want our listeners to remember and take away from our conversation? I think that um, I care. You know, I really care about impact. I, I When I was super sick, I vowed that if I ever lived, I would give back. And so I care about what they're doing. If they want to write me at my private email, it's Megan at MeganMcNeely.com. I would love to hear what they're doing uh, with their well-being, with their customizations, what's working for them. I'm excited to, um, to hear if it's made a difference. And your daughters, what are you hoping for them? I'm hoping that they understand that their greatest talent in the world is the intersection between who they really are and, you know, as they embody well-being and all these different aspects of themselves, who they really are and what the world needs. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fine aspiration, and uh, it's inspiring to hear you articulate it so succinctly. <laughs> 
Uh, thank you so much, Megan, for joining me on the show. What's what's the best way for listeners to learn more about your work and about your book and other projects you're working on? Sure. My website is meganmcneely.com. It's my name, M-E-G-A-N-M-C-N-E-A-L-Y. They can write me there as well. Um, the book is available on all major platforms, um, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. And um, if they do go to the website, I made a uh, custom video for anyone if they would like. It's about nine minutes of me chatting about these um, incredible life-changing truths that that changed my life. So I'd love to hear their opinion of that. Fantastic. Yeah. Megan McNeely, thanks again for joining us on Work and Life. Really appreciate it. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Megan McNeely about how you can improve your performance in your career by, perhaps paradoxically, taking better care of yourself. So now, let me offer you a challenge, an invitation. You heard Megan describe some of the spokes on her reinvention wheel. If any one of them or perhaps others about which you can find out by visiting her online, seems like something you might try, well then, why not do so? Now. The key for getting moving, and and really doing it, will be to look for how a change you might make to benefit your mind, your body, your spirit, is also going to benefit your performance in your work, your career, or at school, wherever you are in that part of your life. Seeing that connection is likely to boost your motivation to go forward. Let me know what you discover. I'd love to hear from you. And you can get in touch with me directly, friedman.wharton.upenn.edu. I always love hearing from listeners. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, Check out our website, TotalLeadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership. Be a better leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.